today on Ag News Daily. Just improving that soil biology, that soil function by the use of cover crops and no-till. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, it's a little snowy there in Iowa. It is a little snowy. I'm not sure what the final count was for around the Des Moines metro area, but uh, definitely enough snow to cover the ground. Oof, boy, it's starting already, huh? Mm. Yes, just prior to Halloween. You know, I was thinking about that too. We, I don't feel like we usually get snow quite this early in the year. I saw an interesting stat. It was put out by one of the Des Moines television stations. I want to say it's happened like 13 times since mm. 1950 or something. So you're okay. right. It doesn't happen very often. Okay. Well, I think the last time... Yeah, you're right. Now that I think about that, I was watching the news last night too. I think the last time it happened was like 1995. Okay. All so right, I yeah, don't so, remember that year very well. No, I bet not. Yeah. No. I was just a little guy. Well, so you've got snow. I've talked to uh, a couple folks, had a, a little poll going out on Twitter. It seems like we've seen anywhere from two inches in eastern Colorado up to Iowa. I've heard amounts ranging from one and a half up to two inches to three and a half in Wisconsin. So it is very much uh, slowing down harvest for a lot of folks. That it is. And since you're talking about harvest there, Mike, we saw yesterday's crop progress report come out. And we saw about 41% harvested for corn acres and 62% harvested for soybean acres, which is still about 20% below where we are for the five-year average for both of those two crops. Yeah, yeah, still well behind average. And yet that news plus the, uh, the impending winter weather across the Corn Belt didn't do a whole lot for the grains, as we'll get to in just a little bit. Corn's up, beans are down, wheat's uh, down, but only slightly. It, it wasn't the bullish scenario I was expecting we'd see after we got, uh, we got that report yesterday. We're about 20 points behind the five-year average in both corn and soybeans on harvest. Yes, it's just frustrating, I think, for producers that are anticipating some sort of rally here because of the late and delayed harvest season. But I guess, you know, the longer we wait, the longer it seems it will inevitably come, not until the USDA does something with their WASDE reports. Which is coming out next Friday. We'll get the November numbers and we will see if maybe there is anything there that can uh, breathe a little life into these markets. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not a big gambler, but I'm going to take a gamble and say the USDA is not going to do a whole lot to change the numbers on next week's report. Yeah, you know, we're we're just getting ready to start coming out with uh, expectations all of the major commodity traders Zener included put out their expectations. Ted Seifert is getting ready to get started on ours. And you know, we expect the corn yield to come down a little bit, but other than that, I mean, it's kind of a crapshoot. This this harvest weather has been so bizarre, uh, nobody's really sure how yet to account for field losses. You know, what are we going to yeah. do with all of the windblown corn that's been knocked over across so much of the Corn Belt? How are we going to count this corn that is, uh, is, has brittle stalks and it's getting, you know, uh, up in North Dakota and Minnesota, you know, feet of snow dumped on it? What does this mean? I, you know, if I were a gambling man, I would say this is the year to turn cows loose out in a cornfield after harvest. I got a feeling in a lot of these places they're going to get pretty fat on plenty of feed. Well, 
that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, not if you got fences around your cornfield. Right. If you don't, I would not advise <laughs> putting cattle in them. No, probably not. Well, while we're speaking of cattle, the cattle industry, pork industry, poultry industry have all been roiled here over the past two years by the growth in popularity of plant based meat substitutes the fake meats. Well, today, Beyond Meat had an interesting day in the stock market. Uh, since their IPO, their shares have exploded. And today, investors were allowed to start selling shares. After an IPO, a lot of the owners and participants in the company have to hold those shares for so long. They can't cash in right on day one. So today was the day that those folks can start selling. And turns out a lot of them wanted the cash, and the stock of Beyond Meat dropped more than 20% earlier today as, as all of these folks were, um, were jumping in to sell, sell the stock. Well, Mike, since we're talking about cell-based and plant-based meats here, we are seeing producers, especially beef and cattle, or cattle producers, are seeking House members to sign on a co-sponsor bill that is basically trying to write the definition of beef into law. Who would have ever thought that this was something that our country would have to deal with? But there has been the real meat which stands for Marketing Edible Artificials, truthfully, is what MEAT is standing for, ACT. And it was introduced by Republican Roger Marshall of Kansas and co-signed by a Democrat out of New York, which I found interesting, uh, that would also require plant-based meat alternatives to be labeled as imitation meat. And so National Cattlemen's Beef Association is lobbying very hard to get this passed into law. But, you know, I was talking about plant-based meat. I can't remember who I was talking about it with the other day. Maybe Elaine Cub after the show of Market to Market on Friday. But plant-based meat is not something that's new. I mean, we've had, you know, black bean burgers for Yeah, tofu's been around for forever. So I don't think that it's new. I mean, definitely cultured meat is new. But plant-based meat is not something new. I mean, I think... The distinction, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, um, I think the distinction is a black bean burger never said, I'm meat. Right. That's true. That is you true. You know, like, I think that's that's where this is coming from. You know, I don't have any objection to anybody using the phrase burger for a pressed-together patty of products, It's uh, but it's not meat. Meat comes from an animal. So if you're going to make a fake meat product you should i think imitation meat is fine you well, know yeah and i guess we'll see how this bill does but i thought that was pretty interesting absolutely we'll see how that all goes um we've got some news here this was an exclusive story with reuters their headline u.s china trade deal may not be ready for signing in chile uh, basically a lot of the folks and again most of these are unnamed officials speaking off the record they said that even though president trump and president g are expected to sign phase one of the trade deal at the uh, asia pacific economic cooperation summit in chile um they're not sure that the text is going to be ready they said uh, the the official said quote if it's not signed in chile that doesn't mean it falls apart it just means it's not ready our goal is to sign it in chile but sometimes texts aren't ready but good progress is being made and we expect to sign the agreement in chile so it sounds like they're giving themselves some wiggle room to maybe not quite ink this deal on november 15th as uh, so many folks have been hoping well that is very frustrating yeah absolutely frustrating not surprising but frustrating
Yeah, yeah, you know, it is It is what it is. It is what it is, Mike. Well, the last piece of news I have for today is a new interim rule was released by the USDA today for the production and transportation of industrial hemp. There are, I believe we're up to 46 or 47 states that have legally passed the production of hemp, but there were still some questions about can you transport through a state that does not have it passed at the state level, and so the USDA released some rules today that help clear up some of that muddiness. Really, the headline here, I think, is that states that do not have it passed will no longer be able to stop interstate shipment of hemp that is lawfully produced under regulations. And the regulation or this uh, new rule today also released procedures for testing the concentration levels of THC as well as procedures for sharing information with law enforcement because I think that's been a big challenge is really how do you transport hemp? How do you prove if it's hemp versus marijuana? So the USDA is seeking some clarity there for that. All right, and that will be good news. As this thing continues to grow and hemp continues to become a a bigger part of row crop agriculture, it'll be great to have these little deals, details, ironed out so folks can grow it and, like you say, transport it without worry about, uh, you know, winding up in the pokey. Absolutely. A little bit of news out of China. Uh, You know, we've talked quite a bit on the podcast about China's Belt and Road Initiative, the move they're making to economically link China to the rest of the world through building highways, building seaports in a lot of developing countries and railroads. And um, basically, they're starting to get some pushback on this. Um, The Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank was at a conference, at an investment conference, and they said that... uh, Uh, people were starting to accuse them of piling debt on these uh, developing countries that they can't afford. And they they pushed back and said, you know, I don't think it's fair to put it all down to the Belt and Road Initiative. The debt of these countries has been accumulated over the years. But I thought it was interesting that a deal or a project, which had been heralded for so long, a lot of these countries were very excited to have Chinese investment and Chinese infrastructure go in. Now they're going, oh, wait, you know, there's a bill attached to all of this, and China's going to want their pound of flesh. And so it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out over a, uh, a little longer time span. All right. Lots of things to watch then. Absolutely, Delaney. Are you tell is, you what? I'm out of news. Do you have any other stories? I, I don't have any other stories, but I got to ask, is that your new saying? Because you've been saying that quite a bit on the podcast. What have I been saying? Absolutely. Oh, I guess so. It's one of those things that just kind of creeps in. Mm, All right. I was just curious. Yeah, well, absolutely, Delaney. Your curiosity is always welcome. (laughs) All right. Well, maybe we can find you a news saying. But, yes, I am out of news, Mike. So if you would like to share with us today's closing commodity market prices before we get to the interview. Oakley doakley. How's that for a news saying? (laughs) All right. I'll take it. All right. Well, let's take a look at the markets today. We've got mixed trade in the grains. Corn up, beans mixed, wheat down. As we take a look, December corn was up two and a quarter cents at 386 and a quarter. March up one and a half to finish at 396 even. In soybeans, the November contract was down two and a half at 918 and a quarter. The January down two cents, finished the day at 933 and a half. And in wheat, December, Chicago wheat down a quarter at 511 and a half. March down half a penny to finish at 
5.17 and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock, some strength in live cattle as the December contract was up 22 and a half cents at 116.8250. February up 25, closed at 121.9750. And in feeder cattle, November contract down 25 cents at 145.4750. The January unchanged on the day, closed at 141.60. I believe that is two days in a row we have been unchanged on that January feeder contract. In lean hogs, weakness that started right at the open. The December contract dropped a dollar thirty-two and a half to finish at sixty-four thirty-two fifty. February down a dollar thirty-five, closed at seventy-two sixty-two and a half. In the dairy market, Class Three milk November contract up fourteen cents, closed at nineteen eighty-two, getting very close to that twenty-dollar number, which we have not seen in several years in Class Three milk. The December contract was up twenty-nine cents to finish at eighteen eighty-eight. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for this Tech Tuesday edition of the podcast? Well, Mike, it's been quite some time since we've had Mitchell Hora on the podcast. He is a farmer. He is a tech guy focusing on how to change operations down in Washington County, Iowa, down there in Southeast Iowa. So we're going to get an update from him today on the regenerative agricultural scene. Well, we are joined in action today by Mitchell Hora, who is harvesting as we do the interview today for today's Tech Tuesday interview. Mitchell Hora there of Continuum Ag. And Mitchell, there's a lot of stuff that we've got to chat with you about. You are doing a lot of things on the regenerative ag front. You've got your own new podcast started up. And so there's a lot to catch up on, that's for sure. But how is harvest going yeah. for you since we've got you and you're in action? Um, we're doing well. The uh, yield monitor is showing an average of 245. I'm very happy about that. Um, this is actually my farm that I bought two years ago. And uh, my first time raising corn on this portion of the farm. And um, definitely really good yield to set as a benchmark. And doing it with very little input, just letting the soil do its thing. And uh, utilizing cover crops to help our soil to function better. That way, I don't need as much synthetic fertilizer, as much management on my end. I'm letting natural process manage my corn and manage life way better than what I could ever hope to do. And how's it going? I mean, you've been doing this for several years, Mitchell. How are you, how are you feeling about how uh, the progress has been? Um, so we're overall, for our whole farm, um, Dad and I are farming about 800 acres in Washington County, Iowa. And um, we are definitely above average in terms of our yield, which I don't know that there's going to be a lot of people be able to say that this year. And I, the biggest contributor for me is that our soils are just being more resilient. Um, we planted about half our crop in the month of April. In the month of May, we had 15 inches of rain. Planted the rest of our crop in June. And then we had only a half of an inch of rain in the month of July. So... A lot of rain up front, and then it went really, really dry during the summer, which we have plenty of time here in Iowa, but um, was definitely a bad year for that. But because our soils were protected with that cover crop um, and have their infiltration built up, our yields were doing just fine. So, Mitchell, so you... For me, it's, it's, well, so you do things quite a bit differently than a lot of other folks. And cover crops, those aren't anything new, but you are using them widespread across your operation. You're also helping other farmers implement them on their operations. But besides cover crops, 
how are you improving your soil structure? You mentioned you're not using fertilizers or a lot of inputs. How are you making the soil do what it was intended to do? Well, so we're still using fertilizers, but we've, we've been able to reduce by about 50%. And we're doing that because I have data to be able to back it up and help me to make a decision knowing that I'm not screwing things up here. Um, I'm doing what the soil is telling me. I'm doing, I'm letting my biology and my soil function. And we're just improving that soil biology, that soil function by the use of cover crops and no-till. And uh, so I'm just giving a better home for my microbes and I'm feeding my microbes with carbon. And uh, that carbon is coming from the roots, coming from the exudates, which is just carbon pumped out of the atmosphere as CO2 and released as sugar into the root zone. And what we're seeing now with a big concern around atmospheric carbon and a lot of groups that are saying, hey, we need to sequester this carbon in the soil and we'll actually reward the farmers for doing it through carbon payments, carbon credits, um, that uh, we are understanding how we can sequester this carbon more effectively, um, how we can sequester the most amount of carbon as possible, because I know that it helps my soil, it helps my water holding capacity, helps my infiltration, helps my microbes, helps my nutrient holding capacity, but I can also now get paid to offset the carbon footprint of other companies, and I can get paid for the carbon that I'm holding in my soil. And tell us a little bit about how you plan to get paid. I know this is not something you're just working with on your operation. You have been working with companies to develop yep. these type of programs. Bring us up to speed. How are these programs progressing, and what does the payment scheme look like? Yeah, so um, there's a variety of companies that are doing carbon credit payments. Um, Indigo Ag is the most um, – probably widely known one at this point that's really making a lot of headlines and what they'll do is we'll pull a pretest to quantify our soil carbon and then we will deploy best management practices come back after a couple of years and identify how much carbon we've been able to store in our soil and uh, we'll take that to a tons per acre basis and identify how many tons of carbon I've actually been able to pump into my soil and I'm helping to offset the carbon released by, of course, agriculture. We've been releasing carbon, but more so I'm offsetting the carbon footprint of companies like Walmart um, and their project gigaton. So Walmart is saying, Hey, we can only clean up our carbon by so much. Our vehicles can only be so efficient. Our manufacturing processes can only be so efficient. How do we, offset the carbon that we are emitting into the atmosphere. And now they're looking at agriculture as a way to be able to do that. For me, it's, this is awesome. I'm literally being paid to improve my soil health. We haven't really had that before. We know that improving your soil health is a good thing. We've, we've, there's a lot of farmers that have been doing it for a very long time. And farmers are caretakers of our land. We want to leave our land better than when we found it. But now we can be paid for carbon um, and for some other positive economic outcomes as well. There's a lot of things being developed. And Continuum Ag just helps to 
provide the data for that and also can consult directly with farmers to help them to implement better practices on their farm too. So Mitchell, I want to ask about that. The, you said the best management practices or better management practices for farmers that have never done carbon sequestration or don't really know how to get started on that. What are some best practices or ways to improve their carbon footprint? Yeah. So really it's all about the five principles of soil health, which is minimize disturbance, protect, keep residue on the surface, keep a living root at all times, implement diversity of plants and integrate animals. So by utilizing these principles of soil health, um, we inherently are able to improve our water impact and our carbon impact. But the key for me is how do we actually improve our soil health and do these things in a manner that's logistically and economically feasible? So across agriculture, we, we as American agriculturalists are some of the best in the world at farming very efficiently, very sustainably on a year-to-year basis in terms of that we're going to have good um, production year over year um, to, a, to an extent, but to shift our practices to reduce tillage or to implement cover crops or to try to diversify our rotations or integrate livestock can be a major change for a lot of farms and a major risk. And there's cost share money that's available to help us to do things like cover crops, but that might not overcome all of the risk that's associated with trying something new. So that's where we use data to help us to reduce that risk and uh, help to create a network, uh, a community of farmers who are able to work together to utilize the best products and practices together to give us the best chance to success on our farms. So, Mitchell, let's talk a little bit about uh, where you see this going. This has been um, the regenerative ag space has been very popular for the past three to five years. You've been very involved with a lot of the different companies yeah. who are playing a part in this. Talk us through the next five years. Where are we going with all of this, and how many acres can we legitimately apply these techniques to and still maintain or grow yields? Right. So um, I see two different outcomes here. Things, at least over the next, like I said, five years, in order to implement more regenerative acts. Number one is an outcome-based approach to um, being able to help to reward farmers for doing this because we're seeing the consumer and these companies demand it. So now we need to transfer the money, funnel it down to the farmer. So that'll be on two different things. One is an outcome-based approach, paying farmers for their carbon sequestration, paying farmers for implementing cover crops, paying farmers for um, improving their impact on water quality or water holding capacity or nutrient density of the food, which is my favorite one, which is let's produce an actual better quality food. Um, the other approach is helping farmers get the money up front. So where a company can team up with a farmer and help them to implement a more regenerative system. So giving the farmers some money up front to be able to try to raise barley or try to integrate some livestock or feed um, a diverse cover crop mix. Um, that company will utilize its marketing budget to work directly with a farmer 
and help them to improve their land. Now, that one doesn't factor in quite as much on the outcome data, but it's more about the story. And it's more about as Walmart, for example, since I used them before, as Walmart, we are directly helping X million numbers of ac- number of acres to implement cover crops. And here's our specific data about the number of cover crop acres that we have directly impacted um, utilizing that quantifiable data. So that's the two different ways. So one, monitoring the carbon or the ecosystem services after the um, regenerative ag practice has been implemented or helping with um, private sector funding um, up front in terms of some cost share. Wow. Well, it is an exciting time, I think, to be in farming with all the maybe bad things with weather delays and harvest, slow harvest this year. But there are definitely some bright things on the future, Mitchell. And thanks so much for sharing with us some of those things. Yeah. No, I'm really excited. I'm excited for better technology. I'm excited for real-time data, connecting with the consumer, telling a positive message that as agriculturalists, um, we are very good at what we do, and we've had a lot of success because of it. But we are also now ready to be part of a solution for reducing CO2, for improving water quality, for improving our water holding capacity, our water efficiencies. And uh, farmers are ready to raise their hands and, and to be a big part of the solution. Absolutely. Well, Mitchell, we hope you have a safe and happy harvest there as you finish up. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, Always good to talk with you guys. Well, it's always good to hear from our friend Mitchell Hora there at Continuum Ag. Folks, if you've got questions on sustainability or making your operation more regenerative, reach out to Mitchell. Uh, He's a neat guy. He's got a great presence across social media, and he's he's a really sharp young guy uh, changing the industry. Absolutely. You can find him at Continuum Ag LLC on Twitter if you are a tweeter. But if you do not tweet... You can also interact with Mitchell on Facebook, but you can also interact with us on Facebook at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I want to encourage folks, if you have not yet done so, please sign up for our weekly newsletter. We're kicking it into full gear this week. This is our third week doing it, so I think we've kind of got it figured out by now. What do you think, Mike? Absolutely. We are getting it figured out. And, uh, listeners, we want to have you be a part of it. Uh, check us out. Go to that uh, globalagnetwork.com and get signed up. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.